0: Our final guest has lived far more, far better, and now far longer than most. She is a literary doyenne who has edited Simone de Beauvoir, Philip Roth, Jack Kerouac, Norman Mailer, Margaret Atwood, shh, over there, really, yeah, good, Jean Rhys, Laurie Lee, and one of my favourites, Molly Keane, so just a few big names then. She is also a lady of letters in her own right with five volumes of honest but never flaunting memoirs because she's not the only pebble on the beach, Um, including instead of a letter, Stet and Somewhere Towards the End, which are now published together as life class by Granta, for which she won the Costa. And indeed, the day the Queen gave her the OBE was the only day Her Majesty felt common.
1: (laughs) It was Prince
0: Charles. Oh, it was Prince Charles. (laughs) He should feel common. After her last salon appearance, she told the Daily Mail that we were all high on something. <laughs> Most probably just ourselves. Please welcome Diana Athill OBE O M G <laughs> <sighs> now I have here two copies. This is this is the swanky swanky rankin edition with a quite amazing photograph, I'm sure. And, uh, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the copy I kind of treasure. This is the copy that I've thumbed <laughs> um, ra- rather better, and you can see how many pages I've folded. So we could be here for a while. <laughs> um, your new book is um, Letters to a Friend Instead of a Book, because of course you did Instead of a Letter, and it's 30 years this year of letters with your friend, Edward Field. Um, And I should say that we are very, very lucky to have here tonight with us Edward Field and his charming partner, Neil Derrick. Please welcome them. They're here on the sofa (laughs) at the front. (laughs) They've been twinkly-eyed front row favourites for the the first part of the evening. Um, And it's it's a series of letters, but it's one-sided in that sense. It's it's, it's your letters to him. Now, whose idea was it to publish these letters?
1: It was Edward's and Neil's first. And when Edward suggested it, I very properly said, no, of course not. No one's c- letters can be published while they're still alive. <laughs> Most indecent. And I g- genuinely felt that at the time. When was that? That was qu- quite a good many years ago that he first proposed it. 2001. 2001 he proposed it. And meanwhile, what they were doing was that Edward, in the evenings, Neil is blind, and Edward used to read a letter, and Neil, who is a brilliant touch typer, used to type them out. I mean, if it were not for Neil, this book would not exist. As it is, this enormous pile of letters have been collected, and Edward sort of shut up when I said no, and we forgot about it, or I forgot about it, Then he came back to it. I think at that time I said, when I'm dead, if you want to, you may publish them. And I give you the rights. Rights are rather funny in letters. The person who owns the physical letter owns that piece of paper. The person who wrote the words owns the words. So it's a a sort of complicated copyright situation. But I said generously, you may have it when I'm dead. (laughs) 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 And then we didn't think about it anymore. But then, after a long pause, I got a letter saying, if they are ever published, they will have to be edited. And you are the only person who can edit them. So I'm sending it to you. Mm -hmm. And I got this formidable great parcel that filled me with such horror that I put it in a corner of my room, and I think it was three weeks before I actually could bring myself to open it. And then I began to read it. And I have to confess that I began to enjoy them. (laughs) 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 It was partly because sometimes they, they made me laugh, and partly because it was all of things that I'd absolutely forgotten about. I mean, 30 years ago, I, I kept on thinking, good God, did that happen? Of course, now I remember that. You know. It was bringing me back and lots and lots of things about
0: life. What were the things that you'd forgotten in particular? Oh, I
1: can't remember. I can't
0: remember, <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what I forgot. I can't remember but what but they I forgot. Would be quite
1: small things. And also, in addition to that, I became more and more aware of the nature of the friendship, which was one of the most valuable things in my life by then, and had been for some time. And it is extremely rare. By the time you're old, I was old when we met. I was in my 70s when we met. And you don't don't expect to make friends. You expect to make new acquaintances, but you don't expect to make any really genuine close friends in your old age. And Almost as soon as we had exchanged a couple of letters when we met, it became apparent to me that Edward was someone who was going to be a friend, someone who I felt that I could say anything to, he could say anything to me. So that writing to him became a very easy pleasure. And it, it, it became more and more settled, this friendship between the three of us. Very valuable indeed to me, because, I mean, what friendship really does add to life, it makes nice things much nicer, it makes funny things much funnier, you can share them, and it makes impossible things less horrible quite often. There's nothing like sharing a good friendship. So as I read on, I realised that this was the record of something quite rare a friendship in old age that was solid. And another thing is very nice, one one of the very few things that's nice about old age, you have ceased having love affairs, you're no longer a sexual being, and discover that you can, in fact, by that stage, you can actually love somebody without wanting to go to bed
0: with him. Extraordinary, <laughs> <laughs> sort- <laughs> really delightful. <laughs> Although, of course, it wouldn't be very successful in Edward's case in any <laughs> case. <laughs> I mean, I loved that feeling. Yes.
1: It was real pleasure. I saw sort of freedom, a freedom of affection.
0: And you were still living with Barry at that, at that point, and still you Still,
1: and Barry, fortunately, Barry was a difficult with friends. Sometimes he took against people, took against people quite easily. And luckily, he loved Edward and Neil. So that we were we were good friends, all of us.
0: So and you and you wrote these, you've written these letters for, for thirty years, and now you write emails. Do you write letters and emails now, or do you just is it just emails now? We
1: just do emails now.
0: Um, and it's not the same. I don't
1: know why, but it's not. The why? Same.
0: How is it different?
1: I, found I don't. I used to write immensely long letters. Poor Edward found them much too long, really, because he had to answer that. Emails, I find myself thinking, oh, this is too long. This is too long. i must keep it short.
0: Some of your emails are quite long. And they <laughs> they, they, they do get quite long. I like that because I, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of think somebody's spending, spending the time and they're taking the time not to just, you know. But
1: actually, with me, writing has to be done by the, wi- ha- by the hand. I mean, when I'm writing a book or, or reviews or anything, I always do a first draft by hand. Really? And then I put it on the, on the thing. Because somehow the head and the hand connect with me. So letters were much more my, my thing.
0: Um, and so, if you were if you were to write a new book, would it be by hand? That you that you would first do that draft first? everything would yeah. be by hand. Yes. Wow, that's incredible. Now, I- in in the book, you talk, and it's it's, it's very funny because I I mean I went I went to school and I'd only ever known computers, but you you were talking about the progression of typewriters to word processors to computers, and there are these kind of, it's sort of like you're trying to score crack cocaine. You go to certain parts of London yeah. looking for a typewriter ribbon, <laughs> and you're convinced that somebody has a typewriter ribbon of the kind that you you might require, and it becomes increasingly arcane and difficult, and eventually you kind of give up, but it's a bit of a fight. I
1: remember saying, uh, one of my letters, it's rather uh, difficult now, it would be to get your carriage horse shod. (laughs) (laughs) Because, we first of all, it was quite difficult. Then it became more difficult. Then Barry and I used to drive for miles (laughs) to get the typewriter mended. We would find some ancient, ancient man who had a house stacked with broken typewriters <laughs> and which he mended slowly, slowly and we never dreamt of going anywhere else and then when the ribbons rang out, there was a time when Barry found someone in um, Holloway, small Indian shop, who had, I think he sort of got old ribbons and dipped them in ink or something, <laughs> <laughs> he could and he used to night, he used to bring them round. So they didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, finally, I had to capitulate. Edward nagged me for a long time. so he kept on telling me the beauties of, of, of horrible computers.
0: He was a modernising force, very much, and you like. I mean he, well was he, is, he was kind of compelling you. Great
1: computer man, right from the beginning. You see. And finally, when he was in England, he said, took me in hand, and he said he'd found a he'd found a most extraordinary place. In off Queensway, It was almost like Casper. You went through an arch, and it was dark passages behind with little tiny boutiques and shops. And right at the end, it was an even darker and rather bigger place, full of extremely cheerful, friendly young men, selling unbelievably grotty (laughs) um, computers. I think probably most of them had fallen off the backs of lorries. He bought, we bought a very cheap one, which worked perfectly well, and he taught me how to use it. But actually, Edward, I think I did, I'm sure they were sometimes off the back of the because we Barbara lost her computer of uh, someone who I'm sure supplied that sh- shop. <laughs> um, <because laughs> it was she typed on her computer in a room with a window. With you could look walk past, and you could see there was someone sitting there typing. It was in the front of the house. Well, she was in bed downstairs and said, so she don't know how it happened. Someone had left the door, not double locked. When she came up in the morning, nothing had been disturbed, but the computer was gone. Someone had been walking up and down the street isolated that house had mm-hmm. a computer in use. Must have been watching quite closely, door not properly locked. Just walked, took it.
0: But your your computer now has no such sad history. I mean, you're f- you're fairly acqui- well acquainted and happy with the laptop that you have. Um, apart from the odd, you know, email saying I was in the middle of this and it stopped, and but now it's fine, and y- and you're you're comfortable with that now.
1: I'm not really comfortable about it. But there's always someone who will help.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, o- over the time that, that that you were writing, very quickly you become familiar. It's kind of at the beginning, it's Mister. Um, Simply
1: Mister for one letter.
0: But well, f- <laughs> that's the beginning, um, <laughs> and it becomes kind of I- I in increasingly sort of you know in, in, informal throughout. And I think that's one of the one of the lovely things is this kind of increasing closeness. But I wonder how often you actually met each other in the time that you were writing the letters.
1: Well, pretty well every year they came, to, quite every year they came to they came to England for a nice long stay.
0: And usually in strange parts of London.
1: Well, whenever, Mostly Queensway, which they have a perverse passion for. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, in, in whatever they could pick up a reasonably cheap flat.
0: Now, the, the, the letters are, are, are your letters, um, are your letters to him. Uh, wh- what happened to his letters to you?
1: This is very sad. There are two very disgraceful things about this book that I ought to be ashamed of. One is that I'm not yet dead, and <laughs> the other, <laughs> other is that. (laughs) Edward is a very careful keeper of things. I, alas, am an ingrained thrower away. I've always, I think I threw away letters, largely because when I was young, we let, all of us wrote letters all the time. I mean, the minute we, when I was at university, the minute the term ended and we separated, we'd all be writing letters to each other madly. And I thought of letters, therefore, as sort of conversation, talking. I didn't think of them as something that lasted. So you got a letter, lovely, you read it, you answered it, you threw it away. Mm. And also, I hate paper. <laughs> and I published, so my office was knee deep in paper. It was always completely unawed. I mean, I knew where things were. Peop- nobody else could possibly see how I did, and <laughs> you know, it was just dreadful, sea of paper. So that I don't, I don't like paper. I have a sort of hostility to it. <laughs> I want to get rid of it.
0: But you don't have an e-reader, do you? You don't, you don't have a Kindle or anything like that. You don't have. A, a oh no, no,
1: I like books. I like it when it's bound. When it's. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I am going to start asking for a few questions in a minute, but um, I wanted to ask you with with, with the letters. How did you? Because uh, could you talk? N- it's not just a conversation between you two. It's a conversation about lots of other people, and fr- you know they appear not always in in their best um, at their best side. You know, there's Orn- Andre Deutsch when he's old and infirm, and his balls are hanging down below his dressing gown poor and his well. poor little balls. Yes. <laughs> and you know and they and of course they have no choice about that and whether whether, whether they're dead or alive the characters not the balls well, <laughs> how do you how did how did you how did you decide how did you kind of patrol the privacy of people well
1: when people are dead they don't mind what to say about it so <laughs> right. when people are alive if it was offensive to them or one of them i left it out yeah excepting in barry's case Who was my old man? Who would always believe in saying what you felt in every circumstances about anything? So I know that actually he doesn't. He's now he's still alive, but he's not taking much notice of anything, and he certainly won't read this book. (laughs) He, if he did, he wouldn't. He would accept the fact that I said what I thought about things.
0: Okay, and that was b- that's being true to yourself and true to what hmm. he, he knows of you. Um, I mean, it did seem to me, reading, reading the letters and having, and having read the memoirs, that Barry didn't seem to take a lot of notice of quite a lot of things for quite a long time. <laughs> you know, he did sort of seem more increasingly involved with the television. Um, and, well, and, you know, he, he kind he of, his world got very smart and he seemed very angry. His health got very bad. Yeah.
1: He, he was diabetic. He was diabetic and he was um, absolutely impossible to control. You couldn't make him eat properly for a diabetic, so he was a diabetic who was unhealthier than he should have been. He also had a great many sort of um, uh, prostate problems and added to his problems, and he then had a bad heart. I think in his last three years with me, there was probably not much oxygen getting to his brain. He didn't go gaga, but he stopped wanting to think. He stopped being interested in life. If we tried to make him interested, he'd just say, can't be bothered.
0: How long did you live together in total?
1: 40-odd oh, years.
0: Okay. And, and at what point in that 40-odd years did your relationship stop being sexual?
1: Well, we had, we had a very good affair until for about eight years. Then it cooled down in that way, but we went on being extremely close. Friends, we were like an old married couple, or family, and we were joined by by one of his girlfriends, who became an enormous friend of mine, who is still one of my very very best friends.
0: I'm going to open it up to questions now because I know there are lots. Um, Laura. yeah uh, <laughs> So you, so Diana obviously has a legendary reputation I as an don't editor. At
1: all sorry of my editor. <laughs> she has a <laughs> jolly easy time. <laughs> 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 uh, she's a nice, nice kind an editor, but she'd had to do rather little for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of what you'd hope, in a way. And she's sitting in the front row and she's going, yeah, actually, it was a breeze. That Craig Taylor, he was work, but you know Diana, she's fine. <laughs> 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 Teasing you. Sylvia. Hello. Um, apparently, your book for desert is, is Vanity Fair. Are there any
1: contemporary books that you've
0: you chose Vanity Fair as one of your desert island books, and uh, is there a, is there a book that's contemporary that you think in any way holds up to it or is close to it or oh. some to vanity fair sorry to to vanity fair um, you chose that as well oh of
1: yes, f- I suppose so i mean i thi- think i mean each book is so different but there lots of books about but are really splendid um,
0: I should say that that well, Diana four. I w-
1: think it's an episode. I mean, Wolf Wall is a very mm. different kind of novel, but it's as great. It's as good.
0: She did also say of Craig Taylor's book, and it is on the back, that she wishes it was twice as long as okay. it was. I should, I should, I uh, should say that. That's a wonderful book. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most,
1: most enjoyable book. Mm-hmm. Um, if
0: you could go back in time, what advice would you give to your thirty-year-old self? Ooh. Oof, that, that, that's such what a v- uh, uh, I uh, uh, if you would g- if you could go back in time what advice would you give to your 30 year old self if indeed you would
1: god knows i god oh i think i would say look however bad it seems now it'll get better
0: <laughs> other other questions there was somebody at this is tom sure He said he. Uh, <laughs> Tom is saying. Tom. Tom is saying that he is young <laughs> and sexually troubled <laughs> by you. No, he's 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 saying that he's he's a young man and he feels there's a kind of a kind of fog of sex obscuring um, his his rationale, <laughs> um, and that that may be impeding him in some way. I don't know. But that that, that that you talk about getting to a point in life where you realise that that you don't define yourself by your attractiveness or your interestedness in men. It's a two-way thing, absolutely. Um, but you talk, um, you you say that s- that's a that female thing, and you say that some men continue. In late life, to be troubled by almost to a kind of indecent sort of Berlusconi level. (laughs) Um, Is that that, that a gender thing? I
1: don't know whether gender, but in my observation, quite, I mean, some women do claim that they go on feeling sexy. One old friend of mine was extremely indignant with me when I said one began to become less sexy when I was 80. Nonsense, she said, nonsense. She wasn't a bit less sexy. I don't know that I
0: believe her, but. (laughs) I haven't, but most women do seem to. Did you say, you said you felt less sexy when you were 80. (laughs) 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 I got to 80 and I suddenly thought, well, you know, (laughs) time for the Sudoku, you know. (laughs) By 80, I would
1: say it was finished (coughs) for me. But certainly, lots of old men become madly sexy in a different way. Once when I was an old, (laughs) one of these old platforms, And there was an elderly gentleman, very respectable-looking old man. And I was going down to the swimming pool one day, and I met a flutter of women coming up the stairs. And they said, don't go down, don't go down there. And they said, why not, why not? He was sitting on the side of the pool watching them calmly masturbating. (laughs) 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 And then when someone went and complained
0: about him... (laughs) Who did you complain to him? They, were told,
1: <laughs> they were told by the, the nice people who ran the place. He, they did ask him to leave, but they said we should be sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> not, not cross, because it was something that happened to poor old men.
0: <laughs> Are you listening, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> so you watch it. <laughs> You watch yourself, <laughs> you dirty old man in the making. There you go. So this is, this is from a confirmed online data <laughs> um, who says that the, the, the when she, she looks back over her internet correspondence with men, women, whatever, um, that, they, that, that she, the things she enjoys um, are the moments that sh- she reads where she kind of says something about herself or something that she particularly in, enjoys. W- reading the letters, was there a particular favourite that you had that you'd written or a moment that you recollected that you'd perhaps forgotten? I really can't
1: think Okay. Have a think.
0: Have a think, we'll come to another question. (coughs) Uh, There, sorry. You're right in front of me, sorry. Uh, So this is a a question that comes up a lot here. um, And I should say that we are always turning people away at the door. And I feel the answer is the future of the book is good. But the question is, what do you think is happening for the book? Um, Do you think it's a good future or a bad future? I mean, you've been in publishing for decades, or you were.
1: That doesn't throw much light on what's going to happen in the future. But I think we're we're all going to have Kindle sooner or later, like it or not. But I think books will still also (coughs) exist. There are enough people about who like the, the act of reading a book, the feeling of reading a book. I and mean, certainly, things are going to go on being written. Mm-hmm. And things are going to be, are therefore, are going to be read. That the, you know, the creative impulse isn't going to go away. And the curiosity about life that makes people want to read and hear stories. I mean, everyone is going to go on wanting to hear stories.
0: That's all Facebook and Twitter is. People are talking the whole time. They tell
1: stories and they want to hear stories, and that's going to continue. But what form they will be in, who can tell? But I'm quite certain that that the Kindle is here to stay.
0: Um, uh, uh, We were talking about um, letters to to a friend instead of a book, but also at the same time, your Persephone have just published a collection of your short stories.
1: Ah, but that's a bit of a cheat, because (laughs) those were stories that were written a long time ago, And to tell the truth, I had forgotten about them. (laughs) So that when they were written in the 50s and early 60s, and when I first was taken up by Granta, and we were talking about my past books and things, it never occurred to me to mention my stories. They had never been published in England. They had been published by an eccentric American who liked them and who published them to the most sad effect. I mean, they might have been dropped like a pebble into a pool. Nobody read them, as far as I know. And I <coughs> I literally had forgotten them. And so I didn't mention them to grant I think they didn't know that they had been involved. Some Ian did. Ian Jack did know, but he, he, he temporarily forgot about
0: it. Her editor is just going, no, and no, I no. <laughs> that's no. That's <laughs> <it>. My portfolio <laughs> <fourier> stories <laughs> were
1: vanished. And <coughs> suddenly, suddenly, uh, Nicola Bowman, who runs Persephone Books, rang me up and said, "Diana, I'd like to publish your stories." And I said, "My story. Oh my stories! <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were wonderful that I was quite worried because I thought they were probably they were they were the first first things I ever wrote. I thought they were probably terribly dated and and probably of no interest to anybody but still. If you wanted to do them, let her do them. They're going quite well.
0: <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> but I, the, I mean, it's interesting, re- re- reading the stories. I mean, one of them is the st- story which won the Observer, the short story prize, which is about, about, about the two English women, English but my roses. My and
1: me, th- every word of that story is true.
0: Well, and if you've, uh, if you've read the story, it's a bloody terrifying story because you go out and some uh, and you're in Greece. And you meet two, two, two Greek men. Well, you tell the, the story. We are
1: Greeks, at least one very, very plain, old, ugly Greek sailor, um, fisherman, who offered to take us out in his boat. And we had various offers, sort <laughs> of hopeful fishermen. We said no, thinking that we'd you know, only end in trouble. But he was so, so terribly old and ugly, had two teeth left. One of them gold, and one of them black. (laughs) And he'd lived in America, so we thought, well, he does know, after all, from his American life, that women do walk about with short sleeves and things without being whores. So (laughs) probably, probably, he can be trusted, as it were, not to fall on one. So we said, yes, we'd go out in his boat. And off we went. He had his, what he called his niece came, too, who was a young man called Spiro. And (laughs) we sailed away, very happily, and after we'd been quite a long way, we pulled up into a little beach with the most enormously high black cliff all round it. The only possible way to it was off from the sea. And there, we turned out that we were having a picnic, which we hadn't expected, because he brought a little sack with him with a huge bottle of ouzo (laughs) and some bread, and we thought, well, perhaps that's rather kind of him, really, and so we, we all swam. We got behind rocks mm. and dressed there, and he got behind rocks and dressed. No, he didn't, he and Spiro didn't swim, because they didn't, they were both them fishermen, and neither of them swam, of course, which is typical. But we went, swam, got back. We all sat down, had our picnic, drank a glass of ouzo, and then I said, um, I think it's time to go, And he said, she kissed me. That was my cousin. She was the younger and prettier one. She kissed me. You kiss, Spiro kisses you. And I said, no. (laughs)
0: No. Uh, No, no, come on. It's time to go
1: now. And he said, if you no kiss, we no go. <laughs> <laughs> and the argument went on, getting more and more tense. Us being very dignified, very firm, and think having no nonsense, first of all making it into a joke, then being rather cross, then getting up and walking away to the end, going behind the rock and quickly getting changed. Thinking, come on, we must keep cool. Walked back, now they were, still sitting there, swigging their ouzo. And we said, Well, now come on, now we're going. If you go know kiss, we stay here all night. <laughs> and on it went, and on it went, and it really became, we became really worried, because we began to think that perhaps this was going to be a rather nasty situation. And we started walking away, and they started walking after us, and trying to put their hands on our shoulders. And we, you know, we looked, at the, thinking, well, can we escape? We couldn't. I mean, there was no way out, excepting this awful boat, which was very big and heavy, and we didn't know how to start an outboard motor. And on it went, and on <coughs> it went, until finally I headed Barbara in a sort of exhausted way. What do you think would happen if we sort of gave it? <laughs> <laughs> She said, i have been thinking that too. <laughs> and we both of us by that time really thought that this might begin to be the start of a serious battle. They, that might start it. They were going to rape us, or try to rape us, and we'd have to fight and so we very, t- Barbara spoke for me. She said, very timidly, I said, you speak, because she she'd been chosen by the awful old boy. I said, you, said, th- t- you tell him. And so she said, if we just give one kiss, just one kiss, would that be all right? And he rubbed his hands on his back. <laughs> and they advanced towards us, and we stood still, very still. And each man came up to his friend, and they put their hands on our shoulders, and they very gently kissed our cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Then they turned round and went, to get the boat ready. (laughs) 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 We felt so cold.
0: (laughs) That wouldn't happen in London, and let that be a lesson to you, Tom. Thank you very much, Diana Athill. And, and I should say to, to all of you um, for your support, we return for the final salon of this year um, on November the 30th with DBCPR. He'll be reading new material as Liz, Liz Hoggard uh, and someone from the Wellcome Prize. Um, and until then, happy reading and thank you.